Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're with us, whether you're here or online, or whether you're listening to this uh, two or three, four days, a week after uh, this event actually happened. But I hope you're enjoying just the backdrop of just a beautiful scene of us enjoying time together with the Lord with one of the most beautiful backdrops ever, the ocean, the waves, the crashing of the waves, to remind us of the power and the, the, the glory of God in our lives. Show Me. Show Me is the series, and we're going to be studying the lives of six men and six women out of the New Testament. And our first story is the story of Timothy, Paul, poured his life into a young man, and that young man carried on long after Paul was gone, and carried on the tradition, and carried on the message, and carried on the lineage that Paul laid down, preaching the gospel to the unknown world, the, the world that had yet to hear the gospel. Paul poured his life into another. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Who was Timothy? Why does his life matter? And what does he teach us? You know, in the context of this, Paul was at the crossroads in his ministry. In Acts chapter 15, the apostle Paul had been called by Christ personally and had launched this ministry beyond Jerusalem, now the, 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 the main headquarters for the early Jewish Christian church was in uh, Antioch, a little bit north of Jerusalem, and Paul was called to go to the Gentiles. Paul was called to go to people that the early Christians didn't think deserved to hear the message. And Paul believed that God had called him to preach the gospel to all people in all the world. It's exactly what Jesus said to the early disciples in Acts chapter 1, remain here. Stay right here in Jerusalem until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. Go into the world. The gospel, the message of Christ is for Ethiopians as much as it is for us here in America. So Paul went. But many of his contemporaries, the leaders of the church, questioned him. In Acts 15, he gathered a council, and they questioned and asked, Paul, what are you doing? Why are you going to the Gentiles when clearly this is Jesus, um, our Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, who has come for the Jewish people to release them from their bondage? James steps up and defends Paul. Peter steps up, defends Paul. They have this large conversation, and they decide we're going uh, to underwrite this ministry that Paul has begun all throughout the, the unknown world. So all the, way into, all the way to Rome. So all through modern-day Turkey, north, above Israel, and across, all around the Mediterranean world, Paul went. And before he left on his next journey, he sits down with Barnabas. And Barnabas is a co-minister 
you always need a wingman. You need somebody in your life. And Paul had Barnabas. And they had a disagreement about another young man that they were training up, John Mark. And Barnabas decided to give John Mark a second chance. He had deserted them in one of their journeys and turned around and, and left. And, and it upset Paul. And Paul said, I don't want to bring him. Barnabas said, I'll take him. And so in this disagreement, Paul took Silas and Barnabas took Mark. And they went in two different directions. Still on the same page, but it was a blow to Paul. Imagine Paul being questioned by the leaders of the church of his calling on his life. His, the very people that should be supporting him question him. And now his co-worker in the faith has a disagreement with him. Paul is at a very low point. And what happens next is nothing more than a morale booster. A swift and deliberate demonstration of the Holy Spirit encouraging Paul. He brings a young tutor into his life that fills his sails. A young man who will carry out the mission of Paul long after Paul is gone. What happens exactly after that moment? The moment after your greatest discouragement, your greatest potential defeat, the moment where you feel like, I'm done, I'm discouraged, I'm out of the race, I don't want anything more to do with this. God shows up and pours life into you. And what Paul recognized, it was a young man. His name is Timothy. Timothy was born to a Christian mother in Lystra, which is kind of the southern part of modern-day Turkey, kind of in the southeast corner. His father was a Greek, a Gentile. His father didn't know Christ. His mother did because his grandmother knew Christ. And now three generations later, Timothy has come to Christ And Paul meets him and begins a ministry of pouring his life into this young man. And here's my message this morning. This is what I want you to take away. No greater words could be spoken about you than like what Paul said when he said these words. Timothy, my son in the faith, who carried out the torch. He carried on the torch after me. No greater words could you say than pointing to a young person like Timothy in your own life and point to that person and say, this young person is now carrying on what I have poured into them. No greater words. I think of James often encourages me. And I... I there's no greater words to hear James say how I've encouraged him. I mean, you know how smart James is and what he's accomplished as a Biola professor and his PhD and, and the work that he's doing with young people and impacting one of the most sought-after professors at Biola University for a young man. That's, that's remarkable. And, I, and I've gotten to play a very small role in that. No greater words. I'm telling you. I'm just telling you. Of all the things in life, money, your looks, your position, 
Nothing will outlive you like another person that you've poured your life into. Nothing. And nothing will success. Nothing will fulfill you. Success in life is defined as pouring your life into somebody else. That's my message. Every organization, every person, every church needs a Timothy. It's life. It's the future. It's what really counts. And my question this morning is, are you a Timothy seeking after someone else, or have you found a Timothy? A young man, a young woman, somebody, a son, a daughter, or a son or daughter in the faith, that you can help look down the road with and help them. Let me tell you how Paul did that in the life of Timothy. Three things, if you really want your life to count, at the end of your life, you will look back and go, those are the people. There's a guy in college, my roommate in college, Mike Richmond, love Mike Richmond. Jewish background, we played water polo against each other. We didn't know it. He was at Beverly Hills High School here at Mar- I was at Merrill Est, and we would play water polo. We were in the pool together. We didn't know each other, and we wouldn't know each other until college when we both ended up at Cal Berkeley in the Sigma Nu fraternity house as roommates. How about that? And we're thinking, wait a minute, this is crazy. We became dear friends. Mike went through some traumatic personal challenges in his life. And I always told him, Mike, don't give up. God's making you stronger. We didn't share the same faith. But Mike, to this day, 40 years later, when we get together, the first thing he says is, Todd, no one has encouraged me more than you have. I'm telling you, that fills my tank. That that is it. That's life. And, and there's others in my life, and I, I'm thankful for that. That's what I want to live my life for. How did Paul do it? Well, here we go. Three things. First of all, Paul found a young man and called him his son in the faith. In Acts chapter 16, we learn the story. So Paul begins his, uh, his, his next journey after this council. Barnabas takes off and goes in a different direction, and Paul and Silas go in a new direction. And as it says, they, they, they go to Derby and then to Lystra, and a disciple is there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a, was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were of Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted this man to go with him. Paul chose Timothy. He saw his potential. And I can imagine that scene where he says, Timothy, I hear of your faith. You come from great lineage. Your mother was a follower of Christ. Your grandmother was a follower of Christ. What are you doing the rest of your life? I mean, really, what are you doing? I love seeing these young people because that's the kind of question we got to ask. What are you going to do the rest of your life? The most important question of your life. you got you're going to throw it away? Or are you going to really live it out? What are you going to do the rest of your life? You and I here have an opportunity to mentor the next generation. And in an intergenerational church where I see young people all over, we got something going on here. And we're beating the trends in America. Let me tell you, we are beating the trends. 
But let me first say in 1 Timothy chapter 5, in chapter 1, I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy. Two letters in the New Testament are written to this young man. Paul had such a deep, profound relationship with Timothy and believed so much in Timothy and what Timothy would accomplish in his life that he wrote him two letters. And they're in the New Testament. Imagine that. He says, Timothy, my beloved son, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears. They had to depart at one point and go different directions. And Timothy wept to be away from Paul. They had such a loving relationship. My beloved son. They weren't actually father and son, but they were in faith. Agape ten. Technon, my beloved son. It's a beautiful statement. It's beautiful. Agapetas, from agape, which is unconditional love. My unconditional love for you, technon, my son in the faith, is what Paul is saying. And I pray for you. And I remember your tears. And I remember how, what it felt like when we had to separate. Timothy would go on as a young man mentored by Paul, followed Paul. Paul would be arrested, sent to Rome, imprisoned. Timothy would be sent to Ephesus where he was either the, the bishop or the governor of one of the largest churches in the Mediterranean. Ephesus is a massive city in Turkey. Huge. I mean, it'll, still, it'll be another 20 years before they can excavate the entire city. I mean, they, they, I mean it could be longer. It's a massive city, port city, very, very significant. And Timothy played a key role as Paul was in prison waiting potentially his execution. Timothy carried on, and by the time he was 80 years old, he was still ministering in Ephesus. Tradition tells us in the Book of Martyrs that as the pagans were gathering to celebrate the feast called Katagogion, Timothy, meeting the procession, severely reproved them for their ridiculous idolatry. How stupid of you to be worshiping a false god with frenzy, orgasmic frenzy of sexual immorality and things that are polluting and ruining your children. Just total ridiculousness, childness, childless-likeness in the part of these adults in Ephesus. And Timothy stood up and said, you need to turn to the true God. He was so, ex the people were so exasperated that they fell upon him with clubs and beat him in a dreadful manner, it says, that he expired of the bruises two days after. He died. He was beaten to death for his faith. Lived to be almost 80 or 90 years of age. Living out your faith is important but your children's faith being lived out is even more important paul chose a young person trends today is that in churches across america they're losing their children trends point to young people walking away from their faith by the time they're sophomores in college who's going to church 
mostly the older generation. 65% of the older generation. 35% of boomers are going to church. 14% of Gen X and 4% of millennials. As you get younger, young people are deserting the church. Dawson McAllister writes, 90% of teenagers will walk away from their faith by the time that they are sophomores in college. They give into a culture of sex before marriage, drinking, drugs, partying, distractions from forming and developing as mature people. And the church has an opportunity to turn that around for young people. 88% in another study of evangelical kids will leave the church. Fuller Institute, 50% of regular attending kids will walk away by 18, unless something happens. Christian Smith is a sociologist. He writes this, this study for youth and religion in America called Factors That Impact a Young Person's Life, and he says two things. It's parents... And it's the church. Don't underestimate your faith being lived out. Show me in the life of another young person. Paul saw that and he lived out his life and took Timothy under his wing so that he would carry on his life. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the Shema. It's the, it's the Hebrews would gather twice a day and would recite Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Shema, hear, O Israel. Shema Israel Adonai, the Lord Eloheinu is our God. The Lord is our God. Adonai Echad, he is our only God. And they would say that. I wanted to listen to something. Joseph, would you play this? Just for a minute, listen to this. This is so important that parents would sing it. They would recite it. Play it. Yeah, thank you. Listen. This rabbi is singing this prayer over his family. Imagine being with your family and speaking these words out of Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Even praying over your children, praying over the people, the young Timothys in your life, that they would know that God is one, that He is the only God, that there is only one God, and He is our Lord. And the idols of this world are deceptive and destructive. But God draws us in through a loving relationship. It's beautiful. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way in which that, per that young person should go. And when they're older, they will follow. They can continue following. The word train up comes from the Hebrew idea of a, of a mother who will take crushed dates and 
would wipe the, kind of rub the, the, the crushed dates in the palate of the infant's mouth to create the thirst so that they would drink from their breasts. So the Hebrew word to train up is palate. Palate. Which refers to a thirst. Creating a thirst. You and I, as parents, have an opportunity to create the thirst. To rub the dates into the palate of a young person's, to give them the thirst for the word of God. Deuteronomy 6 tells, them, tells us if you love God, you'll love his word. And if you love God's word, you'll teach them to young people. Two stories. When I was in high school, my dad had, he bought different cars. He really wasn't in it. He wasn't a car guy, but he bought a Mercedes 300 SEL 6.3 liter engine. I don't know, it was probably late 60s, German engineering. It was just like this powerful 6.3, never ran, but for some reason, it ran on, it just sat in the garage. Every once in a while, I'd take it to high school and I'd burn rubber. It's got a 6.3 liter engine. It's a four-door sedan. It's this like massive car. You'd see a president of like Uganda driving in one of these cars or something. And so my dad takes me down to the desert. We're going to the desert together and he puts on a tape and I'm driving. And he puts on a tape that he heard at a San Bernardino Campus Crusade for Christ conference that he and my mom had attended. It was the story of a colonel from the Air Force. I still remember. I was like 17 years old, 16 years of age. Colonel Bo Bottomley. I still remember. The, what I remember is my father put his hand on my hand as we drove. I'm in high school. My father is holding my hand as I'm driving, listening to Bo Bottomley, a colonel in the Air Force, tell his story of how he was a successful uh, Air Force pilot, fighter pilot in World War II, on into Vietnam, and, and had survived and come back and how he came to Christ. I don't remember much about the testimony other than the fact that this was a very successful colonel in the Air Force, who was a self-made man who gave his life to Christ and it changed his life. And my dad was, had tears in his eyes and he wanted me to hear this. Well, I had already known Christ, but I'll tell you what, that moment in my life secured my faith. It was a moment I'll never forget. In fact, I went back and did some research and you can listen to this testimony. It's on YouTube. It's an hour long. Profound. I was listening to it again this morning. And Bo Bottomley lost his daughter, and he lost his wife. Remarried, had more children, and he died in 2016 down in Idlewild. There was a service for him in 2016, and uh, he had 12 grandchildren and 22 great-grandchildren and left a legacy of faith. I want to be that kind of a man. I remember one other scene. I was now a senior, going into my senior year in high school. As a junior in high school, I was running for ASB president. I'd never been involved in ASB other than just kind of like a secretary or just some kind of menial uh, jobs, but and I mean, not, not in a secretarial way of an organization, but in terms of ASB, I just kind of took notes. But I didn't have any leadership. I didn't do anything. 
And I didn't know much about politics. I didn't know much about running a school uh, as a president and all of that. I just knew how to take notes and turn them in. And I think I was the historian. I took some pictures too. And so now I'm running to be the president. I have no idea what I'm doing. And the night before the election, my dad came into my room and I was working on some final um, uh, signs, you know, vote for me, Pedro, or whatever. And um, it was, um, I was, you know, kind of ramping up and my dad came to me and he walked in the room and he said, son, I just want you to know how proud I am of you, no matter what happens tomorrow. You're still my son, and I'm proud of what you've accomplished. And he left. And he walked out of my room, and I sat there, and I started bawling. I started weeping because of the impact that he had in my life. So who's the Timothy in your life? Maybe it's your son. Maybe it's your daughter. Maybe it's another young person. Maybe God will reveal that to you even this summer, someone in your life. And maybe you're in this situation right now where you need to be mentored or guided and you know somebody to call. See, it works both ways. I'll tell you another story. The second thing I learned about Paul is Paul believed in Timothy by encouraging him to grow in his faith. In Philippians 2, it says that I have no one of kindred spirit of like-mindedness who I can send to you. Paul sent Timothy to the Philippians on his behalf. And he encourages Timothy by saying, I have no one who is more like me than anybody else. No greater words were spoken. In fact, the word to be of kindred spirit means having equal power with. Precious is life. What is the most precious thing in your life? Is to have someone who you consider to be like minded with. In fact, in 1 Timothy, there were these four statements that Paul makes to Timothy. Timothy, the goal of instruction is to love from a pure heart and a sincere faith. I can just hear Paul encouraging Timothy. Paul, Timothy, here's the goal of our instruction, to love from a pure heart and a sincere faith. I mean, I can, I can hear Paul bringing encouragement into the life of Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.18. Timothy, fight the good fight. Stay in the fight. He refers to the Christian life like a soldier. Hang in there. Keep going. Don't, and then he mentions two individuals that got shipwrecked in their faith that probably didn't have a mentor in their life. And that's not going to happen to you, Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.6. Constantly, Timothy, be nourished by the words of faith. And then in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity, show yourself as an example for those who believe. Timothy, you're a young person, but don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness because you are a man of great speech, of conduct, of love, of faith and purity. Timothy needed that encouragement. Paul pours on the encouragement. Why? Why? Because we all need encouragement. I remember a time when I was at the lowest point of my ministry. I was in Chicago with our family. My son was born. 
So we had Brooke and Brittany and now Brandon, who's now Theo. I, still, I think that's still his name. And he, I was really at a crossroads. I was going through a really tough time with the church that I was with out there. And the senior pastor who was, for me, going through a very difficult time had set me aside to kind of recharge and recalibrate said, why don't you reach out? I know a dentist. He's a great Christian man. I said, well, my father was an orthodontist. That might be good. And I reached out to a man that I've never met before. I called him. He said, I'll, absolutely, I'd meet with you. I was so discouraged. I'd literally put my Bible aside. I'm in the ministry. Now with a Master's of Divinity, a Master's of Theology, teaching at Judson College in Illinois, and on this big, massive staff at a church, I am literally giving up. And this dentist began meeting with me and restored me in my faith. He just kept meeting with me. He kept encouraging me every time. He didn't have a lot of wisdom in terms of what my next steps would be, but he kept me in the game. And I kept meeting with him. And he just kept encouraging. He kept encouraging. Had me read a little book, and we read that together. He went out on a trip. He said, I'm going with my wife. We're going to a mission trip in, in Africa. And on that mission trip, they were in a car accident. He, he, his life was taken. He was, he was sent to, to be with the Lord. Never saw him again. I'll see him again. I will see this man who encouraged me through one of the most difficult times in my life. So I had another one just recently. I was up in Idaho with Denise and and we took a week to go up to see my brother, Dave, and Kristen, and uh, just to be together. And, you know, we had planned this during COVID and it got canceled a couple times. And we, we went for it. And it was a great trip. And I didn't want to go. Like, this is too nice. Why am I going anywhere? This is like, I just want to stay here. I went. The first night, we sat out by the fire, and I just started pouring out my heart. I'm discouraged. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm telling you this. But I feel like I wonder if it's all worth it, like all the things I've done in my life. And I just started pouring all this stuff out and started laying all this stuff out. And then Kristen, I didn't say I'm burned out. I just feel bummed out. And there's a lot of factors. And I said, I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. Where's that coming from? And Kristen, my sister-in-law, turns to me and says, Todd, what do you need right now? What do you read now? And the first word that came to my mind was I need encouragement. I need to be encouraged. Sometimes I feel like my voice isn't heard, that I'm not significant. All these thoughts and ideas, they're not true, but I'm listening to them, and I need to feel encouraged and loved and accepted. We've been through one gnarly year. We're coming back, but it's hard. And people are, people are wiped out. They're, 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 the aftermath of the difficulties that we have faced are hard. And Paul knew that Timothy's success rested in his ability to encourage and strengthen him or he'd never stay the course. And this is not some like sterile kind of relationship. This is an invitation. This is an invitation into his life. I was going to tell you the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but I think I'll just 
I'll wait on that and, and get to my last point and close this morning. But truly worth reading the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I've always had Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the category of cost of discipleship and, and uh, no cheap grace. And I mean, he was a hardline dude. I mean, he believed in his faith. He, he was sentenced to prison during the Third Reich for his faith of standing up for the true church in Germany. It's a profound story of this man's life who actually returned from being out of the country during this time to come back to oppose Hitler. And what Hitler was doing was destroying the, the German church, the state church, along with other things. And he literally dissembled it. And it lost its value and it lost its focus on the word of God and all that. And, and Bonhoeffer stood up against that as a man of courage and was sentenced to prison. But the thing about Bonhoeffer that I didn't realize until reading Eric McTaxis's biography of his life is what impact he had in young, other, young people that followed after him and how his home was open and his parents' home, it's the, it was called Open Evenings. And he would share life and they would share music and eat together and sing and discuss and laugh and tell stories. And that became a tradition long even after Bonhoeffer was gone. When he was in London, his parents continued on. Opening up the open evenings. Open evenings. It's a beautiful thought. The challenge for us this morning is we always want to give in the context of relationship. A challenge. See, you can listen to a difficult sermon. The challenge is to seek out someone you have been estranged from or a relationship that needs repair or maybe to go after a Timothy. And just because someone preaches on it doesn't mean you're actually going to be held accountable to do it unless you're in the context of relationship. I feel disconnected. I feel discouraged. I feel, what do you feel right now and what do you need? It's a good thing because maybe the person that you're mentoring or somebody that you can focus on needs the very same thing you're feeling right now. And the final and third thing that I want to leave with you is something that Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and here it is. Therefore, my son, again, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you've heard from me, find others that you can impart this to who will be able to impart it to somebody else. What is going on there? I'll tell you what's going on there. It's not what you do. It's not what the person that you mentor does. It's what the person you mentor does with the person they mentor. Think about it. It's the third generation. The success of, the success of any organization, of any family, of any church, is not the first generation of Christians. It's not the second generation. It's the third generation of Christians. Timothy is a third generation Christian. And what Timothy is about to do through the life of Paul, a second generation, the disciples being a first generation, is that he's going to carry on what the disciples taught and what Paul taught and now what Timothy is going to teach in the life of other people. What you have, life experiences, stories, stories of faith, your testimony, 
your relationship with God, your very life, give it to someone. Pour it into somebody else so that it continues to live on. That's our objective. And we will capture the minds of the young people of the next generation. Paul says this, by the way, and he says that suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. He uses the word soldier. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. In other words, it's going to be hard. Soldiering in the New Testament, as Paul refers to it, is the word or the idea of discipline. To be disciplined. Gladwell, great writer, always writes fascinating things and kind of turns things upside down. Like, I never thought of it that way. And in one of his books, he talks about geniuses. And he says, well, we always thought the geniuses were bored. And he debunks the myth that some people are born as geniuses. Nothing of value comes easily. There's no such thing as genius. I was born with that ability. No. Individuals who accomplish much practice, who accomplish with much practice, become geniuses. That's his theory. It's 10,000 hours of practice, or 10 years. Mozart wrote his first symphony at 12, but it was 10 years later that he wrote his masterpiece. See, he wrote a symphony. Yes, his father was a musician. He was a child prodigy. He, he definitely, there's no question, he had things. But it was 12 years. It was 10 years, excuse me, 10 years of hard work before he produced a masterpiece. What Paul is saying is, let's get after it, you guys. Let's get after it. Look at the young people around, your children, your children's children. I'm thinking of our third generation, our grandchildren. I'm thinking of our church in terms of our leadership now heading into a third generation of leadership that I'm so excited about with Luke and others. I mean, that's the future of an organization, of a family, of a church. I want to encourage you that you may be saying, well, I don't know the word. I don't know what to do. I wouldn't know what. Disciple through your life. The things that God has taught you, the lessons, write them down. What are the main things you want your kids or a young person to know about life that you've learned? Maybe some key scripture. Maybe some key stories of how God has intervened in your life. That's what you do. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we look out over this beautiful, vast sea, and we enjoy the sunshine and the crisp air that we breathe and the life that it brings into us, Father, I pray that this morning may be an opportunity for us to identify a Timothy in our life. Someone that we could pour our lives into, even encourage. Maybe it's a note. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's getting together. Father, we have the time I pray that we would be wise with our time and we would have a vision as Paul had to bring up a young man like Timothy who lived out his faith as a faithful follower of Christ, not in a vacuum, 
not by accident, but by intentionality. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to encourage you all to stand up with us as we jump into worship.
Lord, my strength. This is what we stand on. This is the truth that we live by. And Lord, as we continue to leave legacies, as we disciple those around us, we know we can't do it without your strength, without your goodness, without you pouring into us, Lord. So we invite you to pour into us this morning. Let's sing this together, worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, Jesus. Sing this together. Jesus, the name above every other. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, God. We live for you, holy. And a
like the house that was built on sand was washed away, Lord, but we build our houses on a firm foundation. Lord, would you work in us? Would you lead us in your love? Let's sing that one last time. Show me. And show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me so thank you jesus for your goodness that you meet us every time thank you lord yeah we love you jesus we bless your name, Lord. We ask that you'd be with us the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. Enjoy the beautiful non-June gloom, right, James? Yeah. Hope you guys hang around and just get to, get to know someone that's new and see people that you haven't seen in a while. So bless you guys. Have a great week.